0: Hi, I'm Rufus Wainwright, and I'm in Stockholm here to work on my opera, Prima Donna, which is uh, going to be at the Royal Opera House. I have the lovely opportunity today to drop by the beautiful apartment of Mr. Frederick Straga and talk to him about all sorts of musical concepts and ways, and uh, it's great to be here. Welcome, Rufus. Thank you. Imagine that you're in my home. Finally,
1: I'm so happy. Elton John was once called you the greatest
0: songwriter on the planet. That's some praise. Yeah, no, I mean, I you know, at the time when when he did that, I I, I kind of shrugged it off somewhat, and and I, and I didn't think much of it. I mean, I was happy, of course, but I was just I don't know. It didn't really affect me too much. Um, thankfully, I didn't take it too 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 much to heart. But that being said. Now, I, I realize kind of the enormity of, of, of that moment, because it really has lasted. You know, it, it's people refer to that a lot still. So, so I, I in retrospect, I was very fortunate. Thank God I didn't feel it at the time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to your latest album, Unfollow the Rules. Yes. And that title apparently came from your, your daughter. Yes. But w- which rules did
0: she want to unfollow? Oh, God. <laughs> well, where's the list? Uh... It's uh, how old is she, by the way? How she's now nine. She's nine. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, she's. What should we say? You know, it's it's interesting with children because on one hand, you know, uh, okay, okay, I have a I have a German husband, Jorn, and uh, and you know the way the Germans are, they're a little bit like the Swedes too in terms of rules and regulations. So uh, so I think on one hand, my daughter, you know, wants to break every rule. And she, uh, you know, is, 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 you know, just because she's a kid and, and, and she doesn't, you know, totally understand why they exist. But that being said, she is drawn to uh, my husband uh, and, and kind of, and he's, and him being the disciplinarian. It's funny how they kind of seek rules and want to break them at the same time. So it's, uh, it's an interesting uh, dichotomy.
1: When you were a kid, you went on the road or on stage quite yeah. early. Yes. But both your parents, or famous folk singers, yes, as are both your sisters actually yes, yes how, how much um like was there a sense of competition within the family um
0: yes, very much so uh, I, 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 you know whether it was between not so, not so much my, my my younger sister lucy but uh, but Martha and I, who I grew up with i mean lucy's my half sister uh, but martha who's who, who I grew up with in montreal we we were definitely um, kind of vying for our positions in in the you know hierarchy of musical of musicdom and uh and there was that competition and then with my father there was quite a bit of competition uh still is in certain ways and my mother oddly enough uh occasionally though she was mostly supporting me and was very very kind of diligent in her you know appreciation and 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 and, and efforts to you know help me out occasionally she'd turn on me too so <laughs> so uh, and then my mother and father were competitive and it was like but uh, but that's uh, it was healthy shall we say
1: and your mom worked really hard on giving you a musical education
0: oh yeah no my mom uh was uh, keenly aware of, of my desire to uh to continue the family business uh when i was very very young and 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 you know immediately started teaching me harmonies and how to play the piano and stuff
1: considering that the the mother of your daughter is um, Lorca Cohen, yes. Leonard Cohen's daughter. Yes. If, if you put like the musical genes <laughs> of the Wainwright
0: family and the Cohen
1: family together, yeah. your daughter... M- must have a musical potential, which yes, is like,
0: yes, well, she's immense. Yeah, no, she does. And she, and she actually is a very beautiful singer and she loves to write. And she's, she has, she has a a, a fantastic sense for, for poetry. So, so I, I, I would, I wouldn't, you know, be surprised if she took on the, you know, on, on the family mantle, but, but that being said, you know, it, it shouldn't be obligatory and, and she's, she has other interests as well. Um, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. It's looking kind of show busy these days. <laughs> it's looking show busy. <laughs> yeah, well, she's also a kid. I mean, kids love to show off, and they love this. They love the stage, and they love movies. And she wants to be. You know, is she on TikTok? She's she's asked about it. Um, we're we're very conservative in our allowance uh, for for technological things. Also, if you're on TikTok, the Chinese government will spy on you. There you go. There you go. Look, we live in America, which. All bets are off, as they say.
1: <laughs> you famously covered Linda Cohen's "Hallelujah" for yeah. the Shrek yes. soundtrack uh, in, back in the '90s, and it, it became a huge hit. How much time did you like spend with him after you became friends with Lorca?
0: Well, I mean, I you know, I, I we're all from Montreal, uh, Canada. Um, I didn't really know the Cohens in Montreal. I, I, I think I met Lorca once when I was a teenager, um, but then. A few years later, when I got signed to DreamWorks, I, I I moved to Los Angeles and ended up meeting her for real um, and and befriending her uh, and and then I and that's when I met L- Leonard and I was you know was during my first album so so we kind of um, that 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 was the beginning of, of, of the journey uh, you know I always with Leonard I always had the sense. I got the sense immediately that you just didn't get too close to him. I mean, I mean, you had to kind of keep a respectful distance and not, you know, and just sort of allow him to come out of his shell if, if, uh, if, if you wanted to, you know, continue a relationship. So I was very respectful and uh, and didn't really kind of push the envelope. Um, and I think he appreciated that for many many years. And finally, you know, as time passed, um, he we did become. I wouldn't say we were close, but we were we we, we very much. Um, admired each other from afar and and then of course when when Lorca and I decided to have a child he then was very i don't know he was very into the idea and and was very helpful too when 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 you know we got into certain you know issues and uh and sadly you know he, he didn't he didn't he, he wasn't able to stick around but uh, and he's miss and I miss him very much he, he met viva your daughter yeah no they lived together actually for up until i mean i think he he died when viva was about 4 so, so she has she still has memories of him, and and uh, and yeah, so he was he was a profound um presence, obviously.
1: You wrote this beautiful and very funny obituary in the Guardian after the <laughs> Cohen died. Um, uh, and you you wrote that he once said to you um, that according to Jesus, it's more important what comes out of your mouth
0: than what goes in it, yeah, 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 yeah. No, I, yeah, and it's, it's a, um, it's a nice quote, yeah, no, and it's uh. It's it's something that uh, obviously not of us are not a lot of the of re- leaders in the world today are, are following that advice.
1: <laughs> but also when you met him and like became friends with Lorca and everything, yeah. you, you weren't that big of a Leonard Cohen yeah. fan. Cause you were into opera. That yeah, was I mean, I knew.
0: I mean, I, I appreciated Leonard, uh, but I I wasn't you know intimately familiar with his with his work. Um, my sister was much more of a Leonard Cohen fan, Martha. Um, but no, at that time uh, and earlier, I had really been an opera fanatic. So, and that's mostly the music that I knew about. And even to this day, it, it remains sort of my main um, squeeze musically. Uh, this is Leos Janáček. He's, a, he's a, a Czech composer. Uh, who, uh, you know, from the turn of the century, the last century, what can I say? He's one of my great heroes, both because I adore his music. It always sounds fresh. It always sounds new. It sounds, always sounds very modern, um, but also very melodic and very, you know, romantic at the same time. Um, but what I really love about him is that he wrote this. This was his first opera that he wrote, and, and he went on to write several fantastic operas. But he was in his 50s. When he wrote his first opera, uh, and so I, it's, I don't know, it's, I find that very inspiring, <laughs> being that I've started you know composing operas myself in my forties.
1: Getting into opera yes. as a kid is not that common, but I know no. that you and your sister Martha used to put on uh, Tosca yes, at home.
0: Yes, yeah. I mean, they, they, my my cousins and my sister weren't so into opera, but I was, and I was the oldest, so I was able to, you know, force them <laughs> into submission, and uh, and yeah, and we did. We often did Tosca, and I was uh, I was of course Scarpia, and you know, I was getting stabbed, and you know, trying to molest people so it was it was, uh, it was a very exciting childhood what do you remember from your first visit to the opera well my first visit you know it's interesting because because uh, I, I I got into opera um, and, but then I it wasn't from going it was it was from recordings you know and then finally my father, bought my mother and I a pair of tickets to to the Met. And that was the first ever opera that I saw. And it was, it was Louisa Miller by Verdi. Um, And kind of a fabulous thing happened where, where we arrived and the, 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 the opera started and there was this very old, the tenor who was supposed to be, you know, this young dashing man was very old and quite sick looking and had these little spindly legs and, And, uh, and, you know, a a big gut and stuff. Anyways, but he was singing and he was obviously having trouble with the performance. And then at the end of the first half, he hit this note that was so painful and so bad and so kind of broken that uh, everybody in the audience totally uh, could feel it. And And then during the intermission, someone came out and said oh you know this the the tenor had lost his voice or he, he's unable to continue so we have this replacement and then the second half rolled around and this gorgeous young <laughs> tenor with this beautiful voice you know suddenly replaced him and and the opera continued but it was sort of i don't know it, i found it very charming and very kind of exciting it was like going to like a sports night or something you know or a boxing match and you know someone got knocked out of the ring so it so it was uh I don't know that always stuck with me as kind of a fun evening.
1: I have a friend who's an opera singer, her name is Miriam Treischel, and she works at the opera here in yeah, Stockholm and she yeah. she she's been like a replacement singer in New York. Yeah. Um, so that's her job. Just, yeah. just waiting for someone to Yeah, no, I know. And often those people, Yeah,
0: and those people are And then there's certain nights where those people step in and it's their big shot and then they become, you know, the next big star. So, so yeah. But yeah, no, opera's always been big and I just have to say it's, it's such an honor and such a privilege to have my opera prima donna here at the opera house. I've been here for a week, um, you know, going to rehearsals and being in that incredible hall and hanging out and like uh, today I was doing interviews in the, in the queen, in the Kings area, you know, and, uh, I, whatever, I'm a very lucky boy. But do you actually sing opera now yourself cause... um you know i don't I, I don't in any way uh profess to be a, an opera singer uh if i if i had had the training i could have done it i have the voice for it um but i don't i don't have the training that being said i i do occasionally sing certain works um most notably i i sing some Berlioz. L'Invidité, which is a beautiful song cycle that I'm a little bit obsessed with. I do, I do some Schubert sometimes. Um, so, I, 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 you know, I've done a little bit of verity here and there, but it's just for fun. And I do it with a microphone. I don't sing it, you know, live or anything. This this the Requiem by Verdi is probably the most important classical piece for me in the sense that it was after I listened to this uh, piece um, from beginning to end. It was a great performance too, with a very famous recording with U C Björling, this great Swedish tenor. Um, I it, it became a kind of literal requiem for my childhood. I mean, I by by at the end of that two hour period from beginning to end I was a different person I was sort of no longer a kid I was then firmly rooted in my you know teenage years and and in love with opera and it was so and it was a kind of a quasi religious experience uh, listening to this piece and uh, coming out the other end a, a different person so what did it feel like was it like a physical transformation it was, physical. It was like a, it was like my soul was uh, reborn my uh, my but also something within me was put to rest you know it it, it was uh it was very uh it was a spiritual awakening uh, after hearing this piece of music <laughs>
1: I've only listened to Verdi's operas, not his
0: yeah requiem. yeah. No, the I mean, arguably, I mean, the Requiem is. If you want to, you know, you could say it's his his best piece in certain ways. Um, I mean, I love his operas; to me, are 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 are, are, are astounding. But there, there's something about the Requiem that is that uh, I don't know goes to this other place, which is uh, very 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 um, you know powerful.
1: It's apparently considered the second most important uh, requiem of all time yeah. uh, after
0: Mozart. Yeah, yeah, Mozart's Verities, and then I, I don't know. I guess it's a toss-up between you know Foray and Berlioz or something. I don't know. <laughs> have, have you written any
1: requiems yourself?
0: Well, I you know it's interesting because I'm I'm in the process of of, of thinking about it. I, I there's been some talk of late, especially with the way the world is right now um, with Corona and and we also you know my husband and i we we i i i didn't want to write anything a requiem only cuz i i have such appreciation for for verdi's um but i did have an experience this summer where we had this beautiful dog that we had just bought this tiny little puppy called puccini we named him puccini <laughs> and sadly he was he died he was he was he was killed by another dog by a big dog and uh, and it was really horrifying uh, for us because we we we'd become very attached to him and he was very young, he was only a few uh, a couple of months old. Anyways, and I suddenly thought of uh, I don't know. I then I thought of I, I don't know. I it brought the requiem idea back into my requiem like, over the dog. Some maybe something like that, something like that. Uh, there it's yeah. It's we're in you know requiemish times <laughs> for <laughs> sure. <laughs> a requiem over a dead dog or the death of western
1: civilization
0: yeah they're both it's kind of the same in a lot of ways
1: (laughs) (laughs) i know that you once mentioned that opera sort of encapsulated the fear that you felt as a young gay man in the 80s when like sex especially gay sex basically meant death yeah
0: yeah no i i pretty much i'm you know i'm 47 now and i and i I was keenly aware of my homosexuality from a very young age, twelve, thirteen. I I knew what was going on, and I even you know went out and and got got it, shall we say? But uh, but anyway, so so but but with that came you know that that was that coincided with with the uh, you know onslaught of of AIDS, and and um and I really thought for a good ten years that I was going to die, like it was I it was guaranteed. Uh so somehow I think with opera opera very, very much um I don't know, it, it dealt with a lot of those issues. It also dealt with redemption and kind of um you know uh spiritual kind of flight. <laughs> and uh and yeah, so I, I, I felt most comfortable in the opera house.
1: Perhaps you like got on the gay scene a little bit. Too late to go through the like the real yeah. crisis, yeah. Because
0: you, you, yeah, you, you were yeah, it was nine, a little bit too late. A little yeah. bit. If you had yeah. been ten years older, that yes. would probably yes. been a lot worse. I, I think. Well, if I had, ten, had been ten years older, I would have had my sexual awakening in a very free time, and it would have been, you know, would have been like, you know, the late seventies, and and uh, I would have had like the time of my life. I would, I would. Most probably be dead <laughs> because of it, but so, you would have had the time of your. But life. I would have had a yeah. great time. So, so you know, eh, I don't know. It's. Uh, I, I think. I think the uh, the latter is better. It's better to live than to just have a great time. I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but your your parents were really worried about this, of, of course, when you yeah. like.
0: Yeah. No, my parent. Both my parents, when you hit puberty. Yeah, my both my parents were unequivocally uh, awful in terms of my coming out. They. You know, they weren't. They were frustrated. They they were scared. They were. They weren't. You know, accepting. They they didn't want to really deal with it on certain levels too. So I don't. They didn't do a great job. But that being said, AIDS was was uh, you know ravaging uh, gay men left and right, and so it wasn't. I don't know. I, I they get a bit of a free pass in that respect because it must have been so frightening to have your you know thirteen year old child just you know be really under threat. Uh, in that way so so uh so I you know i don't I don't blame them wholeheartedly,
1: I remember when I was in in high school, there was so much talk about the the AIDS crisis that we we didn't even understand that you know we thought that you were supposed to wear a condom at all times, yeah, you yeah. Know, <laughs> whether you were
0: having sex yeah, or not, we never yeah, really yeah, but. Uh, no, I remember when I was in in high school, and I was, and it was around the time that I was, you know, coming to terms with my sexuality. But but all, a couple of teachers would just say, "Oh yeah, if you're gay, uh, you're gonna die, you know, and and if an anal sex means you, you'll get AIDS, no matter what, so because you're not supposed to have anal sex, you know, it's not a core." And they weren't even like religious people. I mean, but they was, still felt that they you would burn felt, in hell for yeah, it. Yeah, it was like a strange. Anyways, but we're in a better time now. <laughs>
3: Miss Otis regrets she's unable to lunch today. Madam, Miss Otis regrets she's unable to lunch.
0: This is Miss Otis Regrets uh, performed by uh, the great Ella Fitzgerald.
3: She is sorry to be delayed, but last evening, down She's straight, madam. Miss Otis regrets. She's unable to launch today.
2: When she so
0: what's this song about? Is it like a lynching? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've actually, for, for many years... And 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 especially recently, uh, been dissecting this song uh, because I actually th- think that it could make a great play or something. Because it's, it it you know when I, I when I started singing it uh, as, as a teenager, um, I didn't put too much. Kind of, uh, I didn't do too much research or, or put too much, you know, emphasis on on the particularities of what was happening within the song. But now, as I'm older and I just look at the little lyrical turns and the little, you know, whether it's, uh, yeah, as you said, like stringer up on a tree or you know the velvet gown or the gun, you know, or the mob coming out, um, you can start to construct this very. Um, complicated and uh, and brutal uh, scenario. Uh, and, and, you know, and the fact that it's being sung by a maid, presumably, so to this woman. So you think, okay, well, the woman obviously was black, but, like, maybe not, maybe, like, half, you know, not dark, you know, because she was perhaps having an affair with, like, a wealthy southerner. I mean, there's, like, all these, like, very, you know wild and and rather depressing uh avenues that you can take racially with this song um so she
1: she can't go to lunch because she's being lynched
0: yeah yeah but obviously but obviously she has like a velvet gown you know so she's not like you know she she's of some stature i mean i'm just starting you know I, i feel like she's probably someone who could pass you know as they say in the south and then but everybody knows that she's you know uh mixed race and then and then you know and that ends up i mean mean, this is just like a story that i'm coming up with in my head but i think there there is a play in that song that i that i think should be written at some point
1: speaking of tragic dramas involving middle-aged women your opera prima donna is about a woman like that an aging singer yeah
0: it's about an aging singer who's uh who's you know deciding whether or not to continue her career or not and uh yeah I won't give away the ending. She's been a recluse for a long yeah, she's time. she's been a recluse and she's uh well, it's funny because I mean w- w- the main crux of the piece is that she has she she she's interviewed. She's in, she's in an interview. She's she she there's she a, the tenor is as a journalist and he comes and interviews her and he ends up sort of semi seducing her. Um and it unleashes, you know, both passion and fear and and, and madness, <laughs> and uh, and then you know other things on uh, uh, transpire. But it's but it's um, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's basically about an interview in a lot of ways, and
1: it's loosely based on. Maria Callas.
0: Well, or? it's it, it's it, the, the 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 main character Regine Saint Laurent is is sort of the archetypal diva, which is you know there's a bit of Maria Callas, there's a bit of Brigitte Nielsen, and then also and it's funny because Regine her name is Regine Saint Laurent in the in the uh, in the opera, but Regine for me is from Regine Crespin, who was a great uh, French diva, and then and Saint Laurent is, is is the main street in Montreal, so. <laughs> So it's sort of a combination of, of several things. But anyway, so there's that. But then um, there's a lot of me in there, you know. There's a lot of my mother as well. It's, it's, it's a nice amalgamation. Of, Do of, you fear you know, that
1: things. you might end up the same way, like a sad queen in a huge apartment? Mm,
0: I don't... I don't imagine so at this point. I, I don't think I ever felt I would as as well. But I knew a lot of people who did... Um, and I did also, I have to say, you know, I, I being an opera lover and, and, and a real, you know, and very loyal to, to that form of music, I have, you know, journeyed into these, these kind of, um, cocoons, shall we say, uh, where, where, where certain of these singers live and, and, and it is, it, there is something, it does exist, you know, um, that sensibility and it's it's uh it's fascinating uh and 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 a bit sad but also kind of triumphant at the same time yeah it's
1: kind of romantic in a way yeah. that whole thing with f- yeah. fading
0: fame yeah. and yeah. like the yeah. desperate well, urge to yeah, remain yeah, I do i don't think i would end up like that mainly because I'm, I'm not a woman um because it is a particularly female uh um predicament um because I think also with a lot of opera singers, um, you know, they really, they don't usually, oftentimes they don't have kids. Um, and and also there's, not all of them, obviously, but but there's this kind of, I don't know, there's, a, there's such a sacrifice you have to make to be a diva, to be a real diva, to, to dedicate yourself to that music. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a Faustian bargain sometimes.
1: When, when the opera, Prima Donna, Opened Back in 2009. Yeah. I remember thinking how odd it was that it opened just a few days after the death of Michael Jackson, oh, yeah. who, who was also planning his triumphant return yes, to the stage. Yes, and yes. I, he probably had the same kind of self-doubts about you know, yeah. whether he could still sing or yeah. whether he could still yeah. dance.
0: Yeah. I, you know, I actually have a very close friend. His name is Zaldi. And he did, he did all the costumes for um, Cirque du Soleil. And some other things. Uh, but he was doing the costumes for, for that tour, for that comeback tour. And he actually had the last conversation with Michael Jackson. I guess there was like some pair of sneakers or something that for the concert that he had sent over. And Michael called him and they had like a little talk. But it was the night before he died. So, so yeah. Was, he, ha- was he happy with the sneakers? Obviously not. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I saw you in Stockholm about 10 years ago and you were on stage and in between the songs, you talked about how you'd been out to the gay clubs here and how difficult it was to hook up with anyone. Yes. And yes. You, you said something like, what's wrong with this town? I'm an international superstar. Jesus Christ. Yeah, I
0: know. Well, I have a fun, I mean, I, I don't know if I mentioned the story though about I, it probably happened that night or the night before where, I mean, I mean, obviously this is when I was single, but I, but I, I, I went. I did actually end up going to a gay bar in Stockholm, and with the express intent of hooking up with a Swede, because like, I'd been to Sweden a few times, and I, you know, obviously I, very, you know, the, the, you're very handsome, uh, attractive people, and I and I, so I was like, I was I was going to have sex with a Swede no matter what. So I waited it out. And I don't think I was drinking at the time, so I was. So this is even without alcohol. I'm just sort of sitting there drinking, you know, soda water. And finally, at the end of the night, I I ended up, you know, meeting this nice man, and and he and he, but he he wasn't blonde. He had brown hair, whatever that means. But but so he didn't look. He looked Swedish to me, but but he he, he wasn't a blonde Swede. But I was like, whatever, that shouldn't matter. So then I I ended up we ended up going back to my hotel, and. And we had, you know, we spent, you know, we had spent a little time together. And then afterwards I said, I said, you know, I have to admit to you that, um, that I, you know, one of my ob- objectives this evening was to actually have sex with a Swedish person. And he said, oh, well, that, that, that's interesting. And and then he said, well, you know, actually though, I'm half English. And I was like, oh, okay. He said, yeah, he's like, my mother's English. Um, I was like, oh, great. And then, and then he's like, well, you might actually, know, my uncle, uh, my mother's brother he's quite well known and uh he's a well-known comedian i was like really and he's like oh yeah no my my uncle is rowan atkinson (laughs) (laughs) and then i looked at him and i saw mr bean in his face like i could see he did he actually looked a little and i was like oh my god i wanted to have like this Aryan affair and i ended up having sex with mr bean
3: somewhere
0: Judy Garland's uh, uh, "Over the Rainbow." What can I say? Uh, I was um, very much affected by you know that movie, uh, "The Wizard of Oz," as a young kid. I would say, you know, it, it, it was it kind of formed my brain <laughs> in a lot of ways. You know, when I when I got into it at, 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 as, as a toddler, really. So so so, and, and my mother noticed that. And and then she subsequently uh, would taught me how to sing over the rainbow, and that became kind of our our number together. And then, you know, sadly, uh, you know, she passed away, and and to this day, it kind of re- remains like a, a real kind of moment uh, that I that I shared with my mother, and, and that brings back her memory. And, and of course, Judy began that whole process.
3: Really Someday, I'll wish upon a star and wake up where the clouds are far behind me. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads
2: and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? Right.
1: And This, of course, is from her 1961 concert at Carnegie Hall, yes. which you recreated yes. in its entirety in 2006, even memorizing the things she said between the songs. Um,
0: um, and the, yes. Choreogra- yes. the choreography, Yes, I mean, I mean, I sort of touched on that stuff, and I didn't. The choreography I did was not was not what what she did. I, I, in no way wanted to kind of be a like a drag queen, you know, performing her music. I, I did it as Rufus. Uh but I but nonetheless I was intimately f fa- I'm intimately familiar with with the album and which I wasn't before the concert. I mean I, I didn't know that record so well. Uh but then I got into it uh later on and um
1: yeah, you started to listen
0: to it. just I after to, after nine like, eleven. Yeah. After that 9-11. Well, I, I, well no, sorry, I really started listening to it after uh, after America inv- invaded Iraq. Oh, so it was a little bit after nine eleven. So, what was it about that concert that appealed to you? Well, at that time? It, it, what happened is that I mean, I was living in the states, and it was you know, and it's so sad to think about it now because once again we're in this this sort of situ- we're in this situation where America is just you know rotten to the core and I was, but this was, you know, many years ago and a 9-11 had just occurred. And there was this beautiful moment where it seemed as though the world was maybe going to come together and heal after what had happened in New York and, and, and so forth. And then lo and behold, Bush decided to invade Iraq. And, uh, and as we know, and, 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 and as I, be- I think most people believe like that, I don't know that was really the worst thing that could have ever happened. Um and um and it did and and so I was just so heartbroken and I found myself listening to the Judy Garland record because it was this one little kind of spark of greatness that that still emanated from the United States. You know, it was this quintessential uh American um uh uh symbol that uh, that's still shown a little bit and uh and and I needed to kind of hold on to
1: your paternal grandparents i mean yes. your your father's parents were at the concert in 1961 i think
0: yeah, no, they were. Yeah, no, They were yeah, also no, they neighbors were. with Judy yes, Garland and yes, Beverly were. Hills. Yes, yeah, they were. Yes, they were. And, and, in uh, fact, and, yeah. and
1: also your father went to school with Liza Minnelli and yes, apparently had a crush on her yes. as well. Yes, well, Liza, so Liza Minnelli
0: was the first girl that my dad ever had a crush on. Oh. Uh, yeah, when well, they were about 10 years old. And, uh, and, he, and he wrote his first ever love letter to her. And the opening line was, Dear Liza... What do you think of this guy Elvis? <laughs> <laughs> How did she feel about Elvis? Uh I don't know, she never answered him. Oh. And it broke his heart and he never forgot it and uh so it's sort of it, it she was the not only was she the first crush, she was the first uh heartbreaker. So
1: but did your parents understand the whole like gay connection within the myth surrounding Judy Garland. Well, I mean,
0: I will will say, you know, interestingly enough, my mother was okay with it. You know, I mean, the sense with the concert, with the Judy Garland concert, she she understood that these are, you know, great songs and she was never particularly comfortable with me being gay in general. But she was, well, when I decided to do the Judy Garland show, she kind of went along with it. My father was was quite upset. He he didn't like the um the kind of mantle that that that, that symbolized. He thought for him it really it really represented a, a kind of broken down gay man uh, gay male culture that uh, that in his you know childhood and even adulthood, uh early adulthood was was really frowned upon, you know. Um so he he had he had issues with it. But then but then subsequently he loved the show.
1: Yeah, some people claim that like the the Stonewall riots right. broke out yeah. as a as an effect of um, Judy Garland being
0: buried yeah the, or dying like, that night di- dying or, yeah, that yeah, night yeah. So, but that that theory has been like yeah I think it's been, de- been and, debunked somehow yeah. but but you can't but also I mean look it's. It's a, some, it's, a, it's a nice story. It was in the air. It, yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty formidable coincidence. <laughs> also, some people claim
1: that the whole rainbow symbol, like the pride symbol, right, the rainbow, right. is connected to over the rainbow, and that's why they... It's
0: not unrelated. Uh, look, I, you know, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm old school, so I believe it probably. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I'm going to a town that has already been burnt down. I'm going to a place that has already been disgraced I'm gonna see some folks who have already been let down I'm so tired of America
1: Here's one of your songs sung by George Michael
0: I'm gonna make
3: it up for all of the Sunday times I'm gonna make it up for all of the nerves.
1: This is a recording from what turned out to be his last tour. Yes. And he he, he died in
0: 2016, like so many other great artists. Yes, yes. I remember that year. That was a tough one.
3: Making my own way home. Ain't gonna be alone. I've got a life. America. I've got a to
1: you wrote on Twitter once that you used to have late night phone calls with George Michael. <laughs> I had one late night phone
0: call.
1: <laughs> so, uh, what, what did you
0: talk about? Yeah, no, we did. Well, we didn't talk about anything because because I I, I I had been. I, I had been alerted by my manager that George wanted to talk to me. Um, and uh, so I was kind of waiting around. I was on tour. I was in England. Uh, and, and I got to my... I think I got... Yeah, after a gig or something, I, I, I got to my hotel. It was very late. It was like 2 in the morning or something. And I got a phone call on my cell phone. And it was George Michael. Who was very nice and started talking and I and the first thing I said I assumed that he was on tour or, or in America or somewhere else maybe Australia you know because cause of the hour he was calling but no he was in London so he was calling me at two in the morning uh, which is pretty late but I but I but anyway so that's cool and then and then he, and he went on to just praise my work and, and especially, you know, the, the song going to a town and talk about his, you know, struggles with, with his coming out and also, you know, what's going on today with a lot of the, one of his big uh, uh, causes was, you know, shutting down um, conversion therapy places in America, you know, where they, you know, try to change your sexuality. Anyway, so he was going on and on and on. And during the whole, I was, I kept trying to interrupt him a little bit and say like, oh, well, I, I, I was, I, 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 and he just kept talking and talking and talking. And then I, after about 15 minutes, I was like, oh no, I'm, I'm not gonna, I can't really talk. Like I, I, he's not gonna stop. And so I just listened. And then for about an hour, he just went on and on and on. And about all sorts of things, and then it became more and more disjunct, and more and more, you know, nonsensical. And finally, he just passed out <laughs> on oh. the phone, and I just, you know, hung up after about about after about an hour and a half. And so he obviously he was high and just sort of, you know.
1: So what were you planning I, to, to tell him?
0: I. I I mean I wanted to say thank you. I wanted to tell him how much I loved his work. Wanted to, you know, uh, you know, express my gratitude, but I just I just was there to listen. <laughs> and uh and he, you know, and then and then then he got in touch with me though he, no though I never spoke to him again, but he I think he got in touch. With, I think he mentioned it in an interview or something that that he had, you know, called me in the middle of the night when he was stoned and 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 just, you know, blabbered on. But um but sadly, of course, it was evidence of, a, of perhaps a larger problem <laughs> that he was struggling with.
1: Back in junior high, I would get ripped on for liking Depeche Mode. Oh, yeah. Like the tough guys in my, in my school, they said that Martin Gore was gay. right? And they right. were listening to like George Michael and <laughs> Rob <laughs> Halford from Judas Priest. Because those oh, guys boy. were like
0: straight up yeah, macho. Yeah, man. yeah, oh God, yeah, no. I was shocked when, when uh, Boy George came out. I didn't think that he was gay which is crazy also Pete Burns from Dead or Alive that
1: was another yeah. one of those Yeah, you know with hindsight they seemed quite yeah. flamboyant but back then they yeah, were just no, you know no, tough so guys yeah with, yeah. Um, there was Perfect. absolutely nothing feminine about that
0: yeah no I know I mean speaking of, of classical pieces that I have sung I mean this is one of them uh, it's called Du, du roux by Schubert and uh Schubert was the first great kind of rock. He was kind of the first songwriter, singer-songwriter, arguably in the in the Western tradition. You know, he was he would sing, he would write his own songs, and he would sing them himself, and he would do these little concerts for his for his followers. So I I consider Schubert sort of the first singer-songwriter in a lot of ways.
1: Dubis tiro, you're the calm. Yes. And this is Barbara Hendricks saying
0: yes, Douglas yes, de yes, yes. Yeah. No, I mean one. one my favorite French Schubert, uh, kind of. Not, I don't know if it's a quote, but it's 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 sort of a theory. Is, is that uh, it's been said that you know in some of his music there are there are certain like two second moments that are more. Profound than six-hour-long operas. <laughs> there are just certain turns he takes, which are so deep and so beautiful and so br- brief. Uh, that uh, yeah. So it's a good it's a good lesson in in intimacy, I guess.
1: You were the very first artist to get signed by DreamWorks Records, yeah, yeah. which was the big entertainment empire created by. Jeffrey Katzenberg and David Geffen and yeah. Steven Spielberg in the mid 90s yeah. I mean insane amounts of money must
0: have been involved in this yes what was that like to like be it was all it was reached that level of it was all stardom. it was cracked up to be I mean I I don't know if I ever reached a level of stardom that that I was initially promised <laughs> but certainly the fanfare on arrival was uh formidable I mean I you know because uh, it was funny, because I had been living in Montreal and I'd gone to New York and kind of failed miserably downtown there, and had to go home to my mom and you know live in her place. And then suddenly I was signed to DreamWorks and I was you know flown first class to Hollywood and put up at the Chateau Marmont, and there would be you know I rented a car for three years, <laughs> you know, and then I was recording and. At Ocean Way, with you know, I had the Rolling Stones on my right and the Katie Lang on my left. I mean, it was very heady, and 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 at that time, especially, everyone wanted a piece of DreamWorks, and everybody, and especially with with LA, you know, they, you know, it's a industry city. So so I was I could get into any club, any restaurant, any any party. I mean, it was it was I was very lucky to have that at that point.
1: And this, of course, was before like Napster. Yeah, it was right before the music that. The yeah.
0: And of course, once my record came out, and then there was Napster and downloading and, and it all kind of crumbled <laughs> uh for many, many years. But but the initial kind of moment was 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 fantastic. And I do believe it was the last kind of uh explosion of of the of of the out uh, of the record business, you know, of this, you know, lavish uh sensibility that uh that that had been you know the tradition uh but then but 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 was ending obviously
1: so how much did you indulge in the rock and roll oh, lifestyle oh
0: fully 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 you know i was i'd go to all the hot tub parties and all of the you know i don't know like but go to a lot of shows like i remember like one of my favorite stories was was i i had uh you know cuz cuz i guess we were connected with geffen records at that point cuz you know ge you know obviously geffen was one of the was one of the, the partners of DreamWorks and, and I was a big Sonic Youth fan actually, uh, still am. Um, and I, and I went to, to, to their show in New York and, um, and they were really, you know, quite, you know, they were, they were very popular at that time and I was of course let backstage like any backstage I wanted to go to I would end up there and I was nobody you know and I went to and I went to meet Kim Gordon and I had this tape that I that I would brought with me like a a, a tape of, of of my early demos um and I had it in my pocket and I was so excited to give it to her and I said oh and, and the way they introduced me like this is Rufus Wainwright the new artist on DreamWorks Records and that was like Whatever Kim the look she gave me was just like, "Oh shit, you know, like who's this you know clown?" And I walked in and I was like, "I want to give you my tape, and then she was like, "Oh, fuck, you know, another fucking tape like she just was not interested and, but then I pulled the tape out of my pocket and it had all unspooled in my pocket, and there was <laughs> tape everywhere, and I had to like get a pencil and like stick the tape in and and I think that actually made her like me like she was like, "Oh, okay, this guy's weird." I kind of like them, so so it was funny. That's a
1: lovely story. <laughs> but did that whole period lead to you
0: leading a very decadent yes, life in yes. New York later on? Yeah, that's yeah. Then I moved to the Chelsea and and took full advantage of. Uh, you moved to the Chelsea Hotel. The, yes, yes. Planning yes. to end up like Sid Vicious. Or, or non, i don't know non, what I, 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 I just perhaps. i was just I, I wanted to be well whether it was sid vicious or dylan thomas yeah. or or leonard cohen you know i mean it was there was there was uh there was a a cast of characters to choose from for sure but i was i was definitely on that track um and uh yeah i mean it was i i don't regret it at all it was uh, but mainly because i was able to you know exit the scene at a certain point
1: so what was your poison during that time
0: well, I always drank a lot. I mean, I look. I started. I don't know. I mean, you're we're about the same age, maybe. But uh, yeah, you know, I was born late
1: seventy two. So we're yes, like we're the same Six age. months. Yeah, from.
0: yeah. So so I, I started going to bars in Montreal when I was thirteen. I mean, which is f- fascinating to think about now because I, I don't, I don't, you know, I just can't imagine like. And, and I looked young, like I was a little 13-year-old, and just to see a 13-year-old in a bar just in this day and age is just so foreign. Anyways, but that's the way it was back then. So I started drinking then, and then anything else. Uh, loved all drugs, loved all this, all that. All, heroin became very big at one point, and I did a lot of heroin. I never really got into it so much, thankfully. A lot of people did and died around me, and that was you know when I was 18 or 19. But once I got to L.A., that's when I discovered crystal meth, and that really—that was like the ultimate, uh, whatever. Uh, so it's that, like substance. speed or is it speed? Just stronger? It's like it's like stronger speed. It's I know like that heavy it's, it's been speed. like
1: really popular on on the gay scene. Yeah, you can. And I, yeah, I have friends who've had severe problems with it. Yeah, no, because it's, 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 it's like
0: sex becomes boring without it. Yeah, after. no, it's 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 there's nothing redeeming <laughs> about crystal meth. I mean, even you know. I mean, I don't think people should do heroin either, but I would say there's an argument for in heroin in terms of you know there's some artistic merit at times, and you know people I don't know there's a kind of darkness or a kind of uh, romanticism to it that you know uh, I think is you have to kind of accept. Crystal meth is there's it's just trash, it's total trash. But I you know
1: really I thought it was the opposite that like. Uh Speed sort of gave yeah. you some kind of power to, yeah, I mean, to work it does a little bit that, more. But, whereas but heroin it does that.
0: i mean, I think, I think, I think look, I'm not—I'm not such an expert on drugs, but for me, crystal meth was—it um, was there's there's nothing redeeming about it. Eventually, certain certain other types of speed. I mean, Adderall, yeah, let's go for it. But I, <laughs> but I, these days, I'm not really partaking in much. So, and
1: you you don't drink or anything, not no. at
0: the moment, no. no.
1: During that period, your your decadent years, you became a drinking buddy of uh, George W. Bush's daughter
0: Barbara. Wow! I, we weren't drinking buddies. We just had there was about a week where we hung out for uh, for for a little bit. So and you,
1: and you you said in a very nice way about her. The thing about the Bushes is that even though they're the spawn of Satan, they're extremely charming and congenial.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, they were. I mean, they in a lot of ways it, it feels like. It, it's like the, they were the Ivanka Trump people of today. Though I feel that Ivanka and Jared are far more sinister and and, and are truly the spawn of Satan. <laughs> but
1: did you meet her mom or her father as well?
0: I never met George. No, no I, I, I met uh, I know some of the other members of the family, but um, Sharon Bush. But I, I don't I don't know I don't. I you, never you met, met Laura George. Bush, right? No, her her mom. I met. I've never met Laura Bush. Oh. No, no,
1: no. I, I have a friend who went to the White House when George W was in office, and he he was like very critical of George W Bush. But he said after that 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 was the most charming yeah. person I've I ever met. I think they met. are.
0: They, my, the sense that I get is that they were incredibly. They are incredibly charming, and they're and, and, and essentially they're 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 good people. I mean, I mean, whatever. Uh, but but uh, whatever that means, I don't know. <laughs> whatever that means
1: it's weird how trump has been so awful that it makes you kind of miss george, george bush. w bush yeah. you yeah, know no, even no. though you didn't agree
0: with his politics at yeah. all he seemed like some, yeah. you know it can always get worse look i i think obviously hitler was worse than trump but but even trump i mean thankfully he the, the the same things have not occurred and and I hope to god that they don't but Trump is also like there's this dumb kind of idiocy kind of like blankness which is I find really hor- scary you know like he's just not human I mean it's like not that I'm saying that Hitler was human but at least Hitler was like at least he, I I'm not going to say at least Hitler or anything <laughs> but uh, but but if you get what I there's something like really I don't think Trump is. I don't know what he, what it is.
1: You've been encouraging Americans living abroad to vote. Yes, uh, and you can vote in the U.S. right, yes, so, even yes. though you have a dual citizenship. Yes, I'm American. You're half so, Canadian, yeah, so yeah, yeah. you you can't vote in Canada.
0: Well, if I lived there, I could. Okay. Uh, eventually, but I'd have to be a resident. But uh, but I but I, I could I could vote in Canada if I wanted to.
1: Before the last election, you promised that you wouldn't sing Leonard Cohen's <laughs> "Hallelujah." Right. Until Trump lost the election, and he, then he he won. Yeah, and, and you you and won't... I
0: didn't sing it for a little while, and then and then Leonard died. Oh, so when when Leonard died, it was just I, I had to sing it because people a, a expected it, and b I don't know. It was, I I I I I have I have gained so much from that song, um, and it's and it's certainly been. I mean, it's it's a piece that. I must admit, I've I've kind of loathed <laughs> at, at times, you know, because it's because it's, Cause it's so, so overplayed, it's so overplayed or... and it's and it's very, um, I don't know, it's it's very obvious some, in, in terms of a choice, uh, occasionally. But but uh, but 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 in the in the long run, it's it's brought me so much, and uh, and it really means a lot to people. So so you know, there's no argument, you know, there.
1: And what's interesting about that song is also that it. Took s- such a long time for it to, to become like a, a hit.
0: Yeah, no, no. It it's it's had its own um trajectory, that's for sure. And but, uh,
1: Jeff Buckley's version came yeah.
0: out just a few years before yours. Yes, yes, yes. And uh yeah, no, and and, and that was um I didn't really know Jeff Buckley's version actually uh, until after I'd done mine. Um I always like I, I was always a little bit Jealous of Jeff, so I, I didn't listen to his record that much. His records that much, but then of course, after he passed away, I I really immersed myself in his material, and it, and it was you know, he was one of the greats.
3: Across the evening sky, all the birds are leaving.
0: Yeah, Sandy Denny. Who knows where the time goes? Um, I. But how can this go? is I believe one of the first songs she ever wrote um, and you know she was a great English uh, singer-songwriter um, and uh, and uh, my mother knew her uh, at one point and and uh, and I, she had she had a rather tragic um, end uh, you know she was she was I think she was fond of of the bottle and and subsequently, you know, ended up having an accident, you know, where she fell down of life. stairs. I think that
1: was her thing to throw herself down staircases. Really? She did that a lot. Some kind of self-destructive... Oh, okay.
0: Honestly, I didn't even know that. Uh, so, yeah. So, so finally, I guess it, it worked <laughs> and uh, and she died. But, um, but I don't know. The, 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 this song is... It's, it's funny. It's one of those... For me, it's one of those examples of, you know, when someone... Um, legendary does eventually die young. You can kind of hear in their early, a little bit like Jeff Buckley, actually, where you can. There's something in their music or in their voice that sort of shadows that that uh, that brief kind of feel that 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 that, that 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 they give off.
3: Sad deserted shore. Your fickle friends. Are- Oh, but then you know it's time for them to go.
1: Do you think that, that a tragic fate like Sandy Dennis' makes you listen to the music in a different way? Um.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, um, I, I do actually strongly believe in, in the, uh, the, that, that music uh, has a sort of, um, clairvoyancy that there's a mystical kind of subtext <laughs> that, uh, that already exists that, uh, that the, that music can kind of touch on. Um, and oftentimes people who 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 are you know doomed shall we say um it, it it shows up in the music beforehand and those who are great survivors you know it's the opposite you know you can kind of hear that that gut that gut kind of um feeling and and i and i and it's funny because i i i think i have that I, I don't think i'm going anywhere anytime soon uh and um which is good and which you can have the cake and eat it at the same time well you... i just i mean i think one of the main experiences for me actually and this and this goes back to the judy garland situation is that you know i related a lot to her music uh as a gay man uh, as a young gay man and and then and, and also as a singer and and an artist and and it was about the vulnerability about the you know and also about the the sensitivity and, and and also the strength in the midst of that. But, but it was always, there was always kind of like a destroyed quality to, to her, to her work that I, that I enjoyed, but then years and I, and I gravitated towards that anyways, but years later, when I did the, uh, the show again, 10 years later, I got on stage and I wasn't, you know, expecting this in the least, but I started singing the songs and I, I, sp- Instantly related to Frank Sinatra, who I was never like a massive fan of. I wasn't a big Frank Sinatra person, but I totally got it because like I was like, no, I'm an, I'm a guy. I'm a survivor. I'm tough. I'm not this you know wilting um, you know wounded person anymore. I am a I'm 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 a a warrior. So so I I I you know I, I gravitate more towards that these days.
1: And the beard that you grew quite recently looks very warriorish.
0: Yes, yes. Now I have a... There's definitely kind of a Scandinavian... <laughs> yeah, it's got a Viking, Viking touch to it. Viking touch to it, for sure.
1: And you look a bit like your father as well.
0: I do. My dad and I look very similar. Very Especially very similar. with the beard. Yes, yes.
1: Let's listen to a song that he wrote about you.
0: Rufus is a tit man sucking on his mama's gland Sucking on the nipple It's a so sweeter than the ripple wine Yes, it's sweeter than the wine You can tell by the way the boy burps That it's gotta taste fine Marco Polo craved the spice and silk And Rufus craves the mama's milk No moo cow, no billy gold is gonna get the baby's vote Come on, mama
1: I watched a clip on YouTube Where, where he sings Rufus is a titman man And he... It says, I wrote this when Rufus was around three years old. He's been bitter ever since. (laughs) You know, a lot of songs that that parents write about having kids are a bit,
0: you know, boring. But this is actually, you know, it's an interesting viewpoint, at least. No, I mean, with my dad, look, my dad and I get along quite well. Um, We've had our moments. And, you know, I'm sorry to say it, but, you know, like, he started this. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, he started
1: it, I and mean, he thinks about being envious of you because yeah. you you get to like suck on one of your mom's boobs, and he wonders if one is going spare.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he. Uh, how yeah, he how went, was he how, went there? <laughs> <laughs> how did you feel about this song growing up? I mean, I was very happy about it. I, I enjoyed the attention. You know, I I kind of. Yeah, no I revelled in it. So I I I have no negative um feelings. I I I I think my my sister it was a different uh situation only because my my dad actually wrote a very beautiful song about hitting her like accidentally called hitting you, which is it's a really it's such an honest portrayal of a parent who just like loses it for a second and so what did and she hits, do to make him lose it? What? She was just it? being a kid and, oh, and yeah. she, you know, she was like acting up and he slapped her once. Yeah. Not not like he never beat her, but he just did it. But look, all parents do it once or twice, like accidentally. And it's and 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 it's and it's and it's always a, a very dramatic and traumatic moment. It's quite,
1: it's quite a taboo subject yeah, to write no, a song it is, about Yeah, but he wrote a song it. about
0: yeah. it and I think for... It was very brave of him to do it, but also I think for my sister it's... it's uh, you know she has. She's the other member of the of the song. So it's um, that that that's more of a serious song. Uh, the, the Rufus is a Titman is 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 a, is a is a playful tune. I, I've seen your <laughs> sister
1: Martha with the Rufus is a Titman T-shirt on stage. Yes, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Besides your your mom's breasts, I know that you were <laughs> quite impressed by another pair that were attached to Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh yeah. When, when God, you were a kid, you've done
0: your research. My God. <laughs> yeah no i, I re-
1: you saw her in um a fish called Wanda
0: yeah no i saw her in that movie and then and then i met her in person uh because she was friends my my dad is is very good friends or was very he's still good friends with them but but he was buddies with a uh, christopher guest her husband uh in fact they i think they lived together my dad and christopher at one point like in the 70s or something happened but anyways but 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 we were in london and my dad was living in London, and we went to visit them. And I didn't know what was going to happen. Like I didn't really know who these people were, and, and and I was quite young. And and suddenly the door swung open, and and Jamie Lee Curtis answered it. And I'd just seen the movie Fish Called Wanda, and I, I just I'd never seen a movie star like that before. And I noticed right away she had incredible breasts, <laughs> and that's where it all ended for me. <laughs>
1: some of my female friends claim that a lot of gay men are very interested in breasts not in a sexual way but they just find them funny
0: yeah yeah no i found them uh yeah no i found i found i was there you go (laughs) hatred on the horizon must be assumed for the ascension shadow the scepter lower the drop pretty I, I need to go but I did want to say this which is important I'm doing all of my albums over the next few months online on, uh, on, on on virtually from my home in in Los Angeles we're gonna do a concert whatever you go to veep
1: L- concerts. live
0: stream concerts over the next few months and I'm starting from my first album and then all the way to my last and actually for each album I am having a special guest come and watch not sing with me but watch and actually the first special guest will be Jamie Lee Curtis really wow <laughs> so it'll be me singing for her my first album and with a little band in my living room but that—that that is my upcoming tour so it'd be great if you could just and by, by it's, then, it's called Rufus Rufus Retro Wainwright Spective well we're all looking forward to that right, and
1: great. by that time the new Halloween movie with Jamie Lee Curtis yeah, will be out yeah, as well yeah so. yeah, yeah. What a massive event for Jane Lee Curtis yes, fans. Yes, <laughs> And you're fans of course. Thank you for coming here Rufus, such thank a pleasure you to talk for to you. It's a having me, thank you. Denna podcasten producerades av Daniel Bäckström för Lion Media. Rufus Wainwright här Hamilton, Australia.